Hi, just a word before we start this week's show. Um, in this week's show, we are discussing, uh, among other things, the visual effects of S.H.I.E.L.D. In that show, I incorrectly accredited most of the visual effects work to Luma. Luma did work on the show, but I didn't include Fuse FX. It was an honest mistake. We apologize tremendously to Fuse FX. I contacted Fuse FX, or one of the uh, members of the team there, and we've actually offered to do an entire uh, dedicated feature on the work that they've done in S.H.I.E.L.D. with them, which we'd be happy to do uh, to make up for having missed out on giving them credit. Uh, in particular, it was pointed out to me that I, in the show, you'll hear me discuss how much I loved the work they did on the CG plane, and in fact, that is uh, something that Fuse FX did. So my apologies to the team at Fuse. Uh, my apologies to you for getting uh, something wrong. We try to fact-check everything as much as we can and know, do our research beforehand, but in this particular case, totally my mistake, completely on my shoulders, totally my fault. Um, but that notwithstanding, uh, you know, the comments and the sentiments about the work, I think probably are still uh, are still valid. Nevertheless, it's uh, horrendous to give credit to the wrong people. So uh, we love the work that Luma does, but we also m- absolutely should have included uh, Fuse FX, and we apologize for that error. Hopefully we'll be able to bring you that uh, special focus on the Shield, uh, Agents of Shield, coming up in not the uh, too distant future. Until then, uh, my apologies. Well, now let's go on with the show. This podcast is brought to you by the new Fast Forward Introduction to Digital Color Theory over at fxphd.com. Download all 10 classes immediately for this comprehensive introduction to capture and display color science. It's Mike Seymour and welcome to this week's VFX show. And this week we are actually going slightly differently. We're looking at television, episodic uh, television to be a bit exact. And uh, I am joined on the line by Zap coming from Sweden. How are you, Zap? I'm excellent. Thank so you. this week on the show, it's just you and I, uh, a bit different, um, but that's okay. Uh, I'm very glad to have you on the show. A couple of times in the past, uh, Zap, you've actually commented wildly over things that have happened here on the VFX <laughs> show. So it's uh, great to have you. For those that don't know you, um, and obviously you're not representing your company, but for those that don't know you, where are you? Uh, where are you working? I'm currently working at Autodesk as a rendering architect, uh, primarily in the 3ds Max team, although there's some kind of cross-pollinization between the products, uh, I guess. So, uh, you know, if something is broken in rendering in 3D Studio Max, it's probably not my fault, but if it's working great, then it's (laughs) me taking credit. Right. Of course, So I've known you for for a long time now. In fact, we've had you on uh, FX Guide when you were at your former company. Um, And you're always welcome on the show. Uh, I really respect both the contribution you made to the community generally, um, from SIDGRAPH presentations I've sat and enjoyed through to uh, stuff that you've posted, but also, of course, uh, always enjoy just uh, hanging out with you, my friend. So it's good to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to discuss two shows uh, by way of comparing and contrasting. And there's um, a lot of shows you could talk about in episodic television, and we've just some, done some of them in the past. We've picked Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the uh, Marvel uh, piece. It's fairly interesting because of the fact that it's trying to uh, play on a uh, sort of a playing field that's defined by the feature film franchise, which is enormously successful and which led to a lot of expectation on the show. Uh, and then the other show we thought we'd pick is Vikings. Um, now, we picked Vikings because, unlike Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's not a hardcore network uh, American television show. In fact, it's uh, partially a, I think it's an Irish-Canadian production. It's, uh, of course, shown on American television. It's uh, being uh, part of the History Channel. But um, it's not, you know, hardcore uh, in the sense that it's uh, network television, ABC, NBC, CBS kind of thing. Both of the shows are really interesting shows. And, of course, uh, Vikings is particularly close to to your neck of the woods. Uh, Quite literally. Uh, As a matter of fact, when I tell you that I have Viking Age stuff in my backyard, that's not a euphemism. In my actual backyard, I have actual Viking Age stuff. And the closest runestone to my house is, uh, I measured it out on Google Earth uh, just now. And I don't know if this is significant, but it's actually 666 meters to my nearest runestones. And I happen to have the world's oldest comic book, which is a nice tie-in now to the Marvel stuff, about four kilometers from my house, which is an ancient carving of an old Norse superhero called Sigurd. 
All right. All right, so let me start, as we always do with the show, just discussing the shows uh, at a non-VFX level. Um, so we've started by mentioning Vikings. Let's let's keep going there. Is that a show that's actually popular uh, in Scandinavia, and sort of, or is it seen as being like a ridiculously um, uh, embarrassingly westernized and uh, and just all out kind of not something that you would be seen dead watching? Uh that's a great question. I watched it. I haven't watched it. Uh, follow it like super. Uh, I haven't seen every episode. It's on Swedish television at fairly, you know, prime timey time. So uh, it's going on here. I, uh, what the popularity is, it's hard. I mean, we Swedes, we consider ourselves Vikings. Uh, and the more we see Vikings, you know, punching other people, we go, yeah, that's us clearly. Right. So, so, so if it's awesome, then we love to identify with it. Uh, if the Vikings are, uh, you know, portrayed as, you know, poorly, then we're not as happy. And I mean, this is fairly, fairly, I mean, it's not painting the Vikings as horrible, horrible, horrible people uh, in the, you know, they're more explorers. Of course, they want to kill everyone, I guess. But who doesn't? But yeah, I, I th- I'm, I've watched it a bit, mostly for lack of time. I haven't watched it. My kid, uh, my middle son, is really love old history, so he's watched the whole thing, uh, every episode. Um, so yeah, what kind of general public's opinion on it? I honestly don't know because uh, I don't, uh, you know, know so many Swedish. Have people. you have you enjoyed what you've seen? Oh, visually, absolutely. I mean, it looks fantastic. And it's I'm interesting. really curious. Did you, did you watch any of Michael Hurst's earlier stuff, the, the guy who created this? Because he did uh, The Tudors, and uh, we we tremendously enjoyed that. Um, I don't know if that no. even played there. Tudors is a, no. you know, a King Henry VIII uh, drama. It went over several seasons. Again, um, very dramatic historical kind of drama, though in that case it was on a channel that, definitely catered for more sex and and stuff than the uh, history channel i think allows for uh for vikings um but yeah he he obviously has a real knack for bringing to life these kind of uh historical dramas so i i was a big fan of his stuff before vikings i saw vikings and i really fell in love with it but i, I said that this was operating at many levels one of the other curious aspects about this is that while it may be about uh, uh, Scandinavian uh, Vikings, and in fact they are, they do go over to, to Sweden specifically in uh, Series 2, the lead Viking is an Australian. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that's uh, kind of an unusual choice, but there you go. Um, okay, so what about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Is that something that you've seen and uh, what do you think? Uh, that I have actually uh, followed. Uh, I think I've seen all the episodes, uh, unless I missed one. I don't know. Uh, it's more, uh, you know, the, the differences between the two is, of course, that the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff uh, effect work in that is much more obvious, whereas in Viking it's more about hiding stuff away. And I wouldn't consider myself like the worst comic book fan kind of person, really, but I, I mean, I read my share of comic books when I was a kid and, uh, uh, you know, it, it kind of appeals to me. And it's interesting what they can do with it in the kind of smaller format compared to, to the, the feature films, which, of course, going turns everything to 11. This sticks like turning stuff to seven and a half fish. And that's kind of, you know, suitable for, for the television as a medium. I must say, I, uh, I watch it. I have kids. They, they're very keen on it. Um, I think Agent Phil Coulson is the the pull. Uh, he was so popular in Avengers and in other films. Having him in the show was uh, really good. Also, Clark Gregg, who plays him, is just a terrific actor. So that was sort of um, a, a main uh, draw card for me, as I'm sure it was for many people. But I think it was also just the Marvel uh, halo effect that, you know, there was so much yeah. good blood after Avengers and stuff. It is, however, uh, both a... I mean, a draw and a curse because it must also uh, face facts that uh, it's trying to do episodic television and it's, you know, in a world where you have some of the biggest budget visual effects. I mean, Avengers, Mm -hmm, stunning kind of amount of visual effects and uh, the audience, you know, expects it to live up to that. Uh, To a certain extent, it it can, as long as it tries not to be too um, adventurous. And to the same end, I think, Zap, there's sort of a slight problem in that you have to keep the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. world small enough so that they don't immediately go, well, hey, why don't we just call in Tony Stark? Why don't we, why don't we escalate this to, you know, one of the uh, 
uh, of the Avengers. And so you've kind of got this weird thing where you have to have our agents dealing with problems big enough that, that it's uh, good television and not big enough that it should be escalated to the A-team because uh, clearly, by definition, they're kind of the B-team. Yeah, I think there was... I don't remember now the quote, but there is like... a. a the throwaway line kind of referring to this, like, should we call him almost like, I think they say something akin to, should we call him the A team? Or I, I honestly don't remember, but there is like a reference to, should we bother bloody blah? And no, let's not do that. Like somewhere in some episode, I might have dreamt it, but I, I recall that um, perhaps incorrectly. Yeah. And no, no, I remember that as well. That was an earlier kind of, uh, you know, we should handle this and, and, uh, yeah. Right. I, There's also interesting hand waving around the fact that Agent Coulson actually is kind of dead in the movie yes. world. <laughs> a little detail like that. So yeah, there has been quite a number of cameos. Uh, most recently in the uh, the episode that's just aired in the US, where um, uh, we see an Asgardian uh, turn up on Earth to chase down another Asgardian, uh, Lorelai, who's uh, wreaking havoc. Um, but there's been also uh, you know. Uh, back, I think in episode one, or if not episode two, um, there was, uh, 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 yeah, it was I think, at the very beginning when um, they actually Fury actually made an uh, appearance at the end of one of the episodes to complain yeah, about yeah. his plane getting damaged and stuff. Um, <laughs> exactly. And there's been a few others. Of course, they also make huge, uh, you know, use of the fact that the Marvel universe is so large that there's a lot of characters that are never going to get their own feature film that they can quite happily incorporate into various plot lines without the risk of kind of running out of characters or having to invent um, things that no one's ever heard of. And I'm sure if you are a Marvel fan, a hardcore one at that, you'd recognize a lot more references than, say, I would get. I was never really a, um, a hardcore comics guy myself. Um, okay, so so let's swing back to Vikings for a second. And again, you've absolutely correctly nailed it when you said this is the, the difference between invisible effect and kind of more obvious effects. Um, if we just discuss the visual effects in this uh, in this series, series two is now going to air. Uh, Mr. X is the visual effects uh, team behind that, and uh, Mr. X I think is doing a really good job. They they have uh, strong uh, feature film kind of work, but they also um, you know do episodic television work. They've done stuff uh, in um, in a number of films. Mainly, I mean, they've done some Pacific Rim stuff and stuff, but mainly uh, things like um, uh, Resident Evil is what I kind of think of when I think of them. Uh, they do a kind of a bunch of solid, uh, really good film work at that level. Um, but they've also uh, currently, I think, doing stuff on Noah and uh, and a bunch of other things. So they, they've got feature film cred, and I think the work they're doing in Vikings is really, really good. I just don't see... Uh, visual effects obviously are some, um, but it doesn't feel effectsy. And they're walking this uh, line because, in the nature of the production, there are some sequences that are verging on the supernatural in the sense of people getting flashes and uh, and uh, you know dreamlike kind of things. But on the whole, it's you know Vikings at sea and Vikings fighting and people presumably having to have uh, set extensions and digital removal of. Uh, things in the background and stuff and it just doesn't it looks magnificent to me it's shot in ireland and it just looks like scandinavia does it look and feel at all scandinavian to you uh i wouldn't yeah it probably does i mean the vikings uh, from their name uh actually uh viking really means um what's it called now in english uh it's uh um, well, basically, fjords in Norway are, are what uh, uh, Vike is basically in Swedish. So uh, they're probably more Norwegian, really. Most Vikings were kind of Norve Norwegian uh, as well as Swedish. Uh, so it's more the coastline, and I'm, and um, you know, in the middle of the country kind of guy. So I don't see that area so much. Uh, and of course, when they do it on television, they want to make it all bleak and Game of Thrones looking. Uh, so I think it's, it tends to be a little bit. <laughs> more colorful and green perhaps than what it ends up because you want to have this this kind of uh, steely blue kind of cool look on stuff reality is perhaps slightly more colorful uh, but beyond that I mean it, I think that the whole thing that doing the invisible effects I think the work is absolutely fantastic and I'm, I'm actually wondering uh, because I don't know much about the details here. How, did they build any number of actual, you know, Viking ships? 
or is it like like all CG or what's the story there? Because a lot of the seafaring stuff, you know, uh, you can tell when there's like an om omnipresent camera, you know, flying around the ship in an impossible way. Then um, you know maybe there's some trickery, but I mean you have ships on rivers and ships all over the place, ships, 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 and it looks completely real. So um, how much is real? How much is fake? I really don't know. I can't tell anymore. Yeah, I think there are in fact real ships uh, that have been built because apart from anything else, uh, there's a good budgetary reason for doing that in the sense that um, you know you can get quite a lot of use out of them and <clears throat> and of course they're going to come back time and time again and you can film on them. Though whether or not they're as complete as we're seeing in the show, I, I totally agree. I'm, it's, it's really hard to pick. For my money, if I was to, again look at it just with a cold eye. Some of the smaller craft that they've done, you know, in, uh, Burial of the Dead and that kind of stuff, seem completely real to me and there would be no reason not to. I think there's quite a lot of stuff that um, uh, has done in terms of setting up the environments and doing um, safety type stuff and rig removal and set extension type stuff. But I don't think the majority of the the stuff we've seen with the boats, because we haven't actually seen like large kind of uh, sea sort of battle things the sort of stuff we've seen with the boat has been relatively modest it seems doable on a real scale so i would have imagined that that would be kind of a worthwhile thing to do the budgetary cost of having to do all those as effect shots uh would seem seem much higher um if we go over to agents of shield for a second there is an obvious character i'd almost say in agents of shield that that is cg which is the plane uh, the plane yep. features very prominently uh, in the last episode, as I was referring to the um, uh, the visit from Asgard episode. There were some really nice shots of the plane. I was looking at it specifically for this podcast, and I have to say, I think um, Zab, it's really benefiting. Uh, now this is Luma Pictures that are doing this work. It's really benefiting from uh, physically based, um, physically plausible lighting and shading. The the materials, the properties of the plane, it feels uh, so realistic. It looks so good. It doesn't look plastic. Um, and that you can just sell it. And these uh, shots from above, these shots of it flying, they're incredibly realistic. It's not the hardest thing to get materials that look good, uh, but by the same token, this is done very, very well. What do you think? Yeah, I agree completely. And the plane, I mean, I haven't really uh, caught a single instance of the plane, uh, you know, quote-unquote, looking CG other than the fact that I kind of know it has to be because it's clearly that plane doesn't exist. Yep. But it's extremely well done. And I haven't really seen any kind of rendering problems or, oh, they comp that wrong or anything like that. It looks completely smashing. Now, this latest episode, I th don't think I, that has appeared here, so I, not, I don't think I've seen that one. Uh, but, I mean, uh, the plane features quite prominently in, in the other episodes as well. And If we go, uh, yeah. if we go, to, did you see the one before this week, which would be the episode, sorry, just because of the country differences, this was the episode that... Uh, that Coulson's uh, buddy turns up um, and lands on top of the plane with another plane and uh, for an interrogation? Is that episode of Air? Mm, no, no. Okay, so you're a couple uh, no, of episodes sorry. behind us. Yeah, yeah so, I'm a few episodes behind, sorry. So in the second latest one, as we're recording this in America, um, there was an episode uh, where um, uh, a colleague of Coulson's lands a smaller jet on top of the shield plane and then they obviously dock in and later in the episode they take off again from it something that you know defies the laws of uh, believability maybe but you know hey it's shield and it's marvel but certainly um in all of those aerial shots where you see the the plane i felt like the team that put together shield knew pretty much as much as one can in this day and age that they were on to a show that was going to have some legs they it feels to me like what they've done is let's get this plane right it's a reusable yep. asset. We're going to hit it many times. And and you can do that in episodic television if you've got good uh, producing staff because you can you know say, it's worth putting the effort into this. We're going to get multiple episode payoff on this and, uh, and we'll get it right. There are more uh, difficulties around an individual shot. For example, in the episode that you haven't seen, there's, um, uh, they're running from a blowing up uh, base, the... Um, uh, the guest house and the guest house is imploding behind them and as they're running to the plane it has a kind of a studio feel because you're having to have mm -hmm. the earth collapse as they're running across a kind of collapsing top it's not in concept it's similar to what happens at the beginning um 
uh, of Avengers where um, the base, you know, crumbles and you see this great shot from above where the, it's sort of imploding down. In the case of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's a much, much smaller scale. And it just feels a bit studio-y in terms of lighting and matching. But then that, yeah, the, yeah. there is the problem, right? It's a one-off shot. You're never coming back to that. You've had to set it up for just this one thing. Um, in episode one, for example, of the original uh, pilot, um, we saw Lola, the car, produce hover things out of its wheels. Again, we haven't seen that again. I felt the car looked great, but, um, you know... If you've got a one-off effect like that where the car's going to hover and fly around, it's so much harder to devote the resources to get that perfect because uh, you can't amortize it over more than one episode. Yeah, that, that's true. I think also the car, uh, as you say in the early episode, that looked quite good. Uh, and I don't know how they did that. Was there like an actual car and a gimbal or something like that? Uh, again, there's not much information that I found, you know, about the work behind behind the scenes works on these kind of TV things. I think that is actually an interesting difference between kind of the movie world. We're kind of we're kind of almost drowned in uh, behind the scenes kind of stuff, but this TV world, uh, you know, it, it seems you ha- you ha- kind of have to pull a little more to to find the information about what's going on, and for sure they don't tell you anything beforehand because they will you know spoil the episodes. So maybe afterwards they can find something, but then again they're on an episodic schedule, so, so to them that's old news. They move on with the next episode, and there's no time to make a bunch of you know behind the scenes featurettes and stuff like that. So, so uh, you know, I at least I don't know much about how the stuff was done. Yeah, we spoke to Mark, the visual effects supervisor, on Agents of Shield. Um, that's podcast uh, two sixty two, the FX podcast. This was in September of last year. The first episode had just gone to air. We weren't allowed to discuss the plane. We weren't allowed to discuss the ending because we want to give away that that uh, gag with Lola. Um, it was great talking to Mark about that, and I really respect Mark's work as a visual supervisor. It's a good podcast to listen to. It's just that, you know, again, as you say, they don't want to give anything away. So um, so it was uh, restricted to just being able to discuss the effects in the in the pilot and in particular not the very ending of the pilot. I will say this, though. it's If you've not worked on episodic television, um, producing anything on the kind of killer schedule that these guys work on uh, is to be admired. Now, I don't think in either case these uh, shows look uh, like they're on the kind of schedules that they are. The idea of having to have multiple shows in production simultaneously, oftentimes there's different directors per episode. You've got uh, overlapping teams. Um, I mean, uh, I think famously on Game of Thrones, they had, I think, three teams um, that were simultaneously shooting, you know, trying to sort of mesh it into one. It's not like a feature film where you have the continuity of the director and the DP with a single vision and a kind of uh, a working relationship that spans the entire production and well into post. These guys are turning over, moving on, turning over, moving on and having to knock stuff out at a much, much, much faster rate, which, which really, you know, is restrictive. There are a number of companies that seem to do terrific work in this area, but oh my God, it's not for the faint hearted, the... Uh, the production requirements in terms of production management zap just are, are incredible. Yeah, I can't even begin to imagine the kind of scheduling pressure that, that these things have to go under. And you can sometimes tell, because as opposed to the Vikings thing, I there are shots and things in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where you go like, huh, that wasn't perhaps the greatest. The example you mentioned, which I haven't seen, uh, could be one of them. One shot I was looking at the other day, there's one of these, uh, as a uh, you know, certified nerd into flying quadcopters, uh, anytime those little <laughs> droney things they have uh, are on screen, I kind of perk up. And, you know, in 90% of the time, they do them in CG. And they kind of don't get the flying right, and sometimes they don't even kind of get the perspective right. I think there's like an early episode where like one of these little drones come flying over a fence, and the guy like catches it in the air. It's like an establishing shot of some location, and like the the, the 3D geometry of the the perspective size of the drone that it flies over the little fence and then lands in its hand kind of doesn't really work because the perspective size it had when it was behind the fence would have needed to be smaller to be as far away as the fence was i think at least so th- there's little things like like that you know that you can see it, you know it's really picky to to, to nitpick on these little things uh, you know and on television budget you know okay you know 
print it, that's perfect. We're, we're done with the effect, you know. For for a feature film, they would maybe have tweak that shot a little bit. Yeah, but you have those two extra things. You have that time and you have the money. Um, and yeah. I've got to say, these days, the difference in uh, actual resolution from a rendering point of view is pretty marginal. I mean, the difference between an HD frame and a 2K frame uh, you know, is... I mean, there isn't a different real. I mean, yeah. 2K. <laughs> I, who's counting 20 pixels or 80 so, pixels? So you're effectively doing um, uh, the same size resolution. The cameras pretty much identical, right? You can be shooting. Uh, I think in case of Shield, they're shooting with an Alexa. Well, you know, that's quite a standard <laughs> camera to be shooting exactly. in. Uh, so you've got um, a, a pretty standard pipeline in terms of. It's not like you're getting out of jail free. And in, in the old days. There was a tremendous uh, period in around the time of Star Trek The Next Generation where they were operating in PAL, or sorry, in yep. NTSC. The feature guys were up in 2K, and it was a great proving ground for new digital technology because, quite frankly, you could do stuff at NTSC resolution that was still not possible at feature film resolution, and you could do it with more experimentation. And in many respects, in the early days of, say, Digital Domain when they were first starting up, but... Um, uh, other companies like that, they were at the forefront of an almost television-led technological uh, kind of toolbox. These days, it's the same tools. I mean, you would yep. not really consider using anything different, would you? No, exactly. I mean, the, the difference was not only is, you know, uh, NTSC or PAL, uh, you know, quarter the resolution or less in pixel count but the fact that you know if you go really way back it was transferred you know analog to your television so it you know blurred up the thing quite a bit as well so you could get rid you could get away with stuff that you know didn't even look good in like just your you know 720 by 480 pixels but you know and that hit the air you know the airwaves and went down the aerial to your television set and got you know stomped on by the poor color resolution of ntsc no one could tell the difference so yeah you could definitely get away with a lot more then and now you're kind of yeah the difference is very tiny in in what you need to get away with it's almost to the point i think these days that if you go to a movie theater that might not be like the best calibrated theater or or maybe even still, if you can find one that shows, you know, 35 millimeter prints or something, that tends actually to be the place where you can get away with stuff as opposed to your Magnum HD screen in your living room, which really puts the pixels in your face and see, look at them. So it might even actually be harder in some cases to do effects for TV. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean in, in a television world... Um... I was going to say, you, you know, you also have the problem that people are going to pause it and look at stuff. Obviously, stuff can go on, once it gets on DVD and stuff, you do exactly the same thing. Um, I think the the nature of uh, the storylines, you know, it's not it's not really cutting you a lot of slack. You're going to have to uh, pick up a story pretty quickly in episodic. Um, you know, the you have clearly a lot more time to build something in, in a feature film. You often do start pretty uh, intensively in some uh, of these genres, but in episodic television, you tend to need to get something right off the bat to sort of engage the the viewers because you are worried about them uh, changing the channel. So you're going to have action sequences and stuff. You're going to try and keep the shot count down, but it doesn't matter. Uh, when push comes to shove, you're going to be trying to do as much as you possibly can. And in, in this series, in Agents of Film more than any other, you are so, so having the same actors, the same propositions, the same type of effects being done um, episodically as well as at feature film level. It's not quite, you know, obviously the same. We don't have a Hulk, a digital character to deal with, um, and certainly we don't have the environment work of an Asgard. But nevertheless, you know, you if anything comes up, it's got to look the same. And uh, I'd say that extends right the way through the production. I mean, costuming, everything else, for example, the props, all that kind of stuff, It's it's a, it's a tall ask. I want to swing back, if I can, to Vikings, because I, I think this show is a huge success. Um, and I think that the stuff that Mr. X is doing, we're not talking about enough simply because it's so hard to pick what they're doing. I mean, if you told me uh, to name three effect shots, I mean, I would probably 
Yeah. Exactly. You can hardly even do that. that. That's that's that that's really hitting the nail on the head there. Like I was watching an episode, you know, in preparation for this show, and I was sitting there scratching my scruffy-looking beard and thinking, like, kind of Vikingy beard, and going, "Hmm. So which are effects shot? Like I say before with the boats. Like, so which of these are effects shots, and which of these is just they built the boats? I don't know. I can't tell. There, there is one sequence that is obviously heavily affected, which is um, the sequence when they go. To to uh, the to the place where they sacrifice, I think it's nine of everything. Um, I think it's the second last episode. I think it's the second last or third last episode of series one. Um, and they go to pray to the gods, and thanks to some magic mushrooms, we get a bunch of uh, eerie dream sequences. But even there, even this kind of weird, uh, we're all tripping on magic mushrooms kind of sequence, I felt like the audio and the editing was, you know, this jump cutting between. Uh, the same actor laughing and not laughing, um, clearly moving with the camera in a, in a sense that there's some kind of dolly or whatever. So they're standing, they're seeming to move, therefore, without walking through uh, people. A lot of that stuff, it's very obvious what's going on. doesn't look like visual effects. There's some blurring and some other stuff going around the edges. But that's the most effecty kind of sequence mm-hmm. uh, that there is. And still, you felt like the heavy lifting wasn't being done by visual effects, though I'm sure visual effects were doing a ton of stuff. Um, yeah. You know, so it doesn't it doesn't take me out of the show. I, I mean, I I love the show. I love the show at so many levels. I love the characters. I love the the uh, the way that it jumps around. I was just jaw struck when it jumped four years. Sorry, sorry spoiler alert. Uh, but when it suddenly jumped four years in, in you know ahead in the, the plot line, it was just like an Unbelievable that they'd suddenly done that. But, um, yeah, but it's just the work, I think, must be so good that we just can't really see what they're doing. And I think uh, it's hard to praise work that's this good when you sort of can't pick it. So I, I want to do a big shout-out. I think Mr. X has done a spectacular job on this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, c- I can only agree here. Uh, and uh, isn't it an amazing world we can live in now where, you know, we are in the business and we can't even tell anymore? Uh, isn't that fantastic? Oh, yeah. I mean, really, like, y- y- you wouldn't have... You and I are pretty opinionated, right? <laughs> Let's face it, my friend. And, uh, yeah, yes. I mean, it's uh, if we can't pick it, well, yeah. Now, we something we can discuss because it, you know, is something that we are in a position to be able to discuss, and that is um, the opening title sequence, which was done by the mill. Um, what do you think of the title sequence to, um, to uh, Vikings? Uh, it's a, it's a some... very distinctive... Um, kind of oceanic kind of feel to it. Yes, it really goes uh, all all water, and you have these marvelous kind of shots of the boats from below, uh, where with with the oars going into the water, which looks really nice. And there's a lot of kind of. I don't know if they're supposed to be drowning or what's going on there, but, you know, things floating around in the water and, and uh, flowing, which I guess is things floating around in the water, I, I guess, shot in a water tank. I don't know. Uh, the boats from below, I guess, could be CG or something like that. But it, it, it does evoke a very nice, you know, airy feeling and kind of sets the tone f- for the show quite nicely. So I, I like the t- title sequence. It, it's uh, great work. Yeah, it's uh, it's very distinctive. It's kind of sinister. I in I, at one stage I almost didn't like it because it's a bit more overtones of ritualistic, supernatural, uh, blood and gods and stuff than I'm getting from the show. Yeah, that's a the, good point. It's more sup- kind of the, the 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 most effective thing and the most kind of supernaturally weirdy thing is the title sequence in a sense. The show is more grounded than that. But I will say this, it, a, a good title sequence, and this one does it, I think provides tremendous production value. It, you know, it sort of sets the tone because you have inherently fairly small um, casts because historically they were... I mean, I think I looked this up, and I, I, look, I apologize to historians if you're listening and that I get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure from what I could research, about the population of England at this time was 250,000. And I just thought that was astonishingly small number. And so when you have these battle sequences, and, and the reason I say this is because one of the things I was thinking about is, oh, you know, they aren't really huge battles. And then somebody pointed out in the office, well, they weren't actually huge armies. I mean, it's the the uh, the Lord of the Rings phenomenon where we're sort of used to tens of thousands of people. Well, you just didn't have armies of tens of thousands of people. There weren't tens of thousands of Vikings in these uh, raiding parties because there weren't That's tens of thousands point. of people in the 
town to <laughs> village to go out in the first darn place to do it. Um, so, so you get this production value that you would normally get from the wide um, uh, kind of establishing shot of a big army, that kind of thing, from the title. So I think the mill's done a good job there. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think it, it sets a good tone. I think the other thing that helps set production value, it's got nothing to do with visual effects, is just some of that stunning scenery, the very sharp, rocky kind of entrances to their lakes and stuff. Um, you know, it is pretty magnificent scenery. I know it's not necessarily Scandinavian, but it certainly sets a, a really good rustic kind of tone. Oh, um, uh, well, it, I mean, the, the Norwegian, uh, by the way, I just remember the, the Vik, actually, it's bay or an inlet or a cove is the translation for that. I googlinated it. So, <laughs> I mean, and, and the, Nor- the Norwegian fjord line is very rocky, perhaps not as pointy rocks as they found some, sometimes here. But, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, rocks going into the water kind of thing. So that, that's fine, I think. Yeah. Yeah, there was also a teaser, I don't know if you got it there, that was put out for Series 2. Um, I don't know if you saw it or not, but it was a... Um, it was Certainly, it's been played here on the Australian uh, network that has the uh, the show, and it was also online. And it's basically a, um, uh, a very stylized um, kind of uh, Norsk mythology symbolism thing. Um, so, for example, his wife, his first wife is carrying a bunch of food and it kind of falls and it turns into a sword and a, and a shield. And the reason I raise it is it's, it's very heavily CGI. I believe it's coming out of um, uh, Poland, I think it is. It's, uh, um, but it's a, a very distinctive, almost surreal kind of thing. His new wife has uh, got wings. It's uh, a lot of particle work. Um, in this case, though, I, I, do felt, I did feel it it had moved almost too far. You know, if the titles, I think, set production value and establish um, a slightly more, I don't know, um, mythological kind of bent, at least all the water and the, the stuff, it kind of connects up very much. But this this is almost Games of Thrones um, on acid type mm-hmm. stuff. And, and again, this is a problem with promos, isn't it? Because, I mean, a promo is going to deliver an audience if it's very good. But if the expectation set up by that promo isn't then what the show delivers, no matter how good the show is, the, the lack of matching the expectations to the, um, to the reality can be that mismatch can actually cause a bit of problems. And I, yeah, so at that level, I guess my old, uh, from doing a lot of promo work myself, um, felt this particular series two promo was uh uh yeah it just it just didn't capture the essence of the show um, and it was done in warsaw in poland by the way i've just looked that up um at, yeah uh, I, i've sadly I, I missed but just from your d- description uh, i tend to agree because it is the show is much more grounded and particularly particularly wing flapping things seems kind of unless it's a dream sequence or something of course uh, you know that could work but otherwise it's more um, you know what's going on there yeah so it's uh platige images it's a p-l-a-t-i-g-e images in uh, warsaw poland so is the work good yeah it's great i mean it's really good it's just that it's now visual effects delivering a sense of mythology that is so mythically um, interesting that if you don't see that in the show, you might be, well, I kind of feel like this wasn't what I came for. And I think that would be a shame because I think there's nothing to hide from in the show. I think the show is spectacularly good. And it's, you know, we often discuss this, this idea, are the visual effects helping to tell the story? In the case of a promo, I think it's just, are they are they setting up the right expectation, I guess is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Um, this is a big budget promo and it doesn't actually tell you anything about series two. Uh, it just kind of gets you in with some funky looking cool stuff, which, um, there's a sort of fire in his eye theme that they're going with as well, which again, nothing to do with what happens in the actual show. And I feel like maybe it's someone at a producer level saying, Hey, we need to cash in on the game of Thrones crowd. But I, I don't know what you think, but I think Viking sounds very separate to Game of Thrones, and both are terrific. Well, apart from there's a lot of crossover in look. Uh, you know, it's 
even to and that would be one of these uh, historical accuracies or or inaccuracies of the, the the Vikings show the way they are dressed it's kind of like they could have st- stepped off Game of Thrones uh, but I mean yeah, the shows are very different and of course they're set in different kind of time frames and worlds and all all that stuff that we don't have much dragons here in Sweden. I think, or the low, the the hill I live by, where my Viking Age stone wall is, is actually named after a Gryphon. So who knows? Um, but um, yeah, they're both great shows, and and I think it's much more easier in Game of Thrones, uh, which I must admit I have not followed at all. But you can tell there's effects in there, uh, yeah. unlike the the Vikings thing. Interestingly, in Game of Thrones, in the first season, they played a fairly modest hand when it came to the mythology stuff it really built um into the latter seasons in in vikings there's no indication that it's going to go that route there is um obviously beliefs of the characters which are some of the things we're picking up on so like for example there's a crow i'm quite sure there are some cg crows in there because i'd be surprised if they had these as well trained as what they are but (laughs) these uh refer to various um kind of moments of realization of the characters and they ref- they also seek the counsel of uh, seers and there's kind of a notion of people being able to see into the future but it's all at the level that you would expect an ancient warrior tribe to be um to believe in yeah 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 and and nobody's sort of you know literally sprouting wings or uh having fire come out of their eyes um but yeah it it is uh, as you say a terrific age we live in that um we you know can't pick uh, Mr. X's work and as I say we can compliment the mill on their stuff but it's really that uh, the visual effects in a seamless capacity just making a show um, sing that I think is uh, is so wonderful. Um, There is an enormous amount of risk in any kind of western show these days that you're going to have something appear in the back of frame and I guess we should acknowledge that from radio mics to um, to bits of crew to antennas to whatever, there's always stuff that needs to be cleaned up and taken out in the background. Um, f- whether the show is, you know, the reality show Survivor or something like Vikings, there's bound to be a crew going in there and cleaning up on some of these shots, especially when they get to England. I can't imagine for a second that uh, there wasn't uh, telegraph poles or some hint of uh, the Western uh, technology, uh, you know, needing to be erased by a bit of paint out. But that's uh, sure. that's work that no one ever really you know acknowledges. But without it, you would laugh. It would just be uh, an, an absurd break in reality. And and the teams that do that, I think, uh, you never get any real thanks. So there you go. Um, so if you are watching these two shows, I guess my question is: uh, Do we feel like that um, the VFX being more obvious in Agents of Shield? I wouldn't say the work was was worse, would you? I mean, it was just, I think it's more ambitious and and bigger and more required to do things that I just um, as an individual yeah. know is fake. I would I would be unfair to say that it's worse, and as in saying that the people who did it was somehow less of a craftsman than the people who did it for Vikings. That would be bad to say. It might end up to be quote-unquote worse per pixel simply because they had more pixels to put effects in or that they have to do simply more fantastical things which has a tendency you know no matter how kind of correct you do them just by their virtue of being fantastical kind of looks wrong and effecty anyway because that could never happen versus the vikings have all things that could happen. I mean, a boat can be in a lake. It has been known to happen before, you know. So, so, uh, and, you know, our eye is also used to seeing boats in lakes. Uh, and uh, if you can just pull that off correctly. And I also, by the way, I kind of wonder, because it touches on my field very well, a lot, is like, how much has the, you know, people really moving to a physically plausible shading pipeline uh, made it possible to to have these super invisible, super real looking effects, I like to believe it has a strong impact. But that mis- might just be my crazy Swedish ego talking. I don't know. Uh, but I no, hope no, that's I think the it's case. I think it's made a huge difference. I think um, I think the the fact that let's take the plane. I think the plane is one of the strongest visual effects uh, that are is a recurring one in Agents of Shield. I mean the uh, look, not seen the plane obviously because I you know how could I? But it just looks so good, and it, and it's 
on screen in a way that gives you time to appreciate it. I mean, quite often, it's a hero shot of the plane. It's a good editorial yep. tool. Cut outside the plane. It's traveling. Cut back in. Time has passed. And when you cut to those plane shots, it's not a flashy, blurry thing that goes by. When they're on the ground and we see it as a kind of, again, one of these, uh, you know, cut to their back at the base kind of establishing shot. It's a, it's a narrative tool, but almost every time we get to see it in a relatively, not locked off, but, you know, framed up kind of way that would have very little place to, to hide. I think it's, um, I think it's really good. And I, I think that without the shading, without the rendering at the level that it's at, you'd really be hard pushed to um, to sell those shots. Yeah, agreed. I think, um, you know, a, a plane isn't the hardest thing compared to, say, a complex um, subsurface scattering human type, um, you know, thing. I mean, obviously, the the technology to do cars is uh, has been pushed very, very hard, especially in terms of car shaders and paint shaders and stuff. This has a kind of a matte um uh paint texture it's not like a classic car kind of uh or you know glossy kind of finish nevertheless um it's not that long ago that whenever you saw those sort of things they looked kind of plastic and kind of fake and the spec highlights and stuff just didn't work the lighting didn't work i think if you're using a uh, sky dome on a plane like that in a sensible environment with a sensible setup you're getting a long way there as long as you've set up your pipeline well and you have a, a good model with high fidelity yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there, there's a lot, been a lot of advances in, in shading the last few years, uh, even though, you know, in previous times we could have, you know, phys- kind of physically correct rendering, but there was, you know, it was physically correct in the sense that it conserved energy and all that. But the actual, you know, behavior of the specular lobes and stuff was a little bit too simplistic, like a Fong or a Ward uh, glossy lobe is actually kind of wrong and kind of looking more like a Gaussian blur than what an actual specular reflection looks like. But now in the last few years, we have the, the uh, how the hell do you pronounce the Trowbridge Rice thingy and the GGX and all these kind of, which has a slightly wider and more glowy look to the, to their specular lobes, which has a much more natural looking fall off. So I think that as well helps quite a lot to get away from this kind of plasticky looky highlight pro- problem that you were just saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, um, I'm a huge uh, fan of good quality rendering as anyone that reads fx guide would know because it you know it really is good i think the other thing and i i come back to this time and time again it's if you can get some good atmospheric effects type work in there that can also help give these things a lot of scale and uh and add production value and and i I, i'm not talking now about kind of lasery uh, zappy lightning bolts out of the arms type stuff i mean you know, much more the sort of um, yeah, more disrupted air. Yeah, exactly. That That's the kind of stuff that can really help sell those shots and ground them. That, and I will also say this, getting the grading right. I mean, do you remember only just a few years ago, if we were having this discussion, and, and I'm not referring now to the work of um, either of these two companies, but, you know, you'd say, oh, the black levels aren't quite right. It's not matching in properly. It's, uh, it's too contrasty. It's not feeling like it's sort of sitting in there. And yep. and a lot of that isn't just the rendering. It's actually the compositors having a good eye and being able to balance up to um, to affect a grade on the material that has it sitting very well with the background, with the right color saturation and stuff in particular. Because, um, I guess, uh, but I think that, that that is also kind of a pipeline thing. You know, in the past, back in these uh, previous years, we've discussed these things. Things could happen like you, you as an effects house got the actual graded material already, and you had to kind of randomly guessinate, uh, you know, and and you know, figure out to fake the grade on your CG thing on top of that, and then somebody to put a second layer of grading that you had no control over on this, you know, later. The modern pipeline is that you have some data and preferably near a scene scene uh, referred you know 
pixel format and the grade is just like a metadata to that saying we probably want it to look like this in the theater you work with it in full linear color in your render and all that stuff and you just put the grade on at the end as you're kind of supposed to do which all these you know pipeline changes um, which I think has gone now down even to the TV studio world that you do these kind of things in a more proper way that helps all these problems so you don't get any of these oh the black levels are off kind of thing that we saw like 10 years ago yeah and and just to be really clear about this while we're saying that you can't pick the visual effect shots that these guys have done we jolly well know that they've done them <laughs> i mean we we know <laughs> yes. we know because they get nominated for things like the the vikings teams were nominated for outstanding compositing in a broadcast program at the ves awards for i'm gonna say episode three um of season one for example i mean you don't get nominated uh the visual effects side if you didn't do anything <laughs> no no so, I, I i maybe that what i said came out right i don't think it's no, no, no. by any yeah. means automatic or ma- like it just happens but i think that uh having a good skilled compositor that makes sure work in a like a, a correct kind of correct color pipeline helps a lot yeah i should also say that mark and the shield team for that pilot episode we're talking about was also nominated for outstanding visual effects in a broadcast program so both of these shows um have industry-wide recognition for the work that they're doing so yeah and i certainly wasn't referring this to you zap but just like when you and i are talking about saying well we can't tell what they've done don't be confused into thinking well maybe they didn't do anything (laughs) i think they did quite a lot yeah um looking forward uh what are i mean you know we we, i don't sort of sound critical but like what are the things that uh you feel like uh when they're not hitting the, the right beats we know why they might be because of huge pressures for time and everything else. But do you see, is there any sort of pattern to what that is that in, uh, in, you know, when you're referring to stuff that was like maybe not quite there, was it uh, scale? Was it uh, believability? It, I don't think it was green screen comping or, or uh, anything like that. To my no, eye, anyway. uh, I agree. Actually, in most cases these days, uh, like we said before, we used to be able to sit and say like, oh, that was a bad black level. We also used to be able to sit and say that was a green screen comp was not so great, uh, which might, of course, be explained that in the past you did it on like PAL, you know, or NTSC level resolutions, which you pretty much can't do a green screen on properly. Now that everything is done in HD and probably 444 colors, so green screening is, you know, much easier these days, I guess. Uh, what probably maybe gives it away would be lighting. Uh, that the lighting can have sometimes a tendency to look a little indoorsy and studio-y on something that is kind of supposedly yeah. happening outdoors. That would be that, that would be definitely one I would agree with. Yeah, that that yeah. that would probably yeah. Now you say it out loud because I made that comment earlier about that guy's running and the ground collapsing behind them. If it was to be one thing that I'd agree with you on totally, it would be when it doesn't work, it's a lighting issue more than almost anything else. And because that's because also it's really hard to simulate, uh, you know, soft yeah. the softness of skylight. Even if you do this thing you do, even in movies, you have this kind of the whole ceiling is full with this little soft, soft little uh, lanterns hanging there. It's still different to having the entirety of the area being uh, luminant, and it gives a slightly different look and you can often pick it and the other thing that might happen also is that when you shoot it indoors you get kind of um you know um you you get tempted to put in extra little you know oh i want a hair light and i want this thing to make it look nicer and the fact that you actually made it look nicer might be a tell that hey that was a studio thing it wouldn't have that hair kick if it was actually shot outdoors yeah, yeah. I've actually had an occasion where somebody fussed with lighting so much on an exterior shot uh, with scrims and bounces and uh, special lights that it just ended up no longer looking like it was outside. Uh, a yep. monumental fail because they perfected the light. And, exactly. Um, and that is so true. I think the other one, of course, is we <clears throat> we have a very distinctive shadowing and quality of light issues from sunlight. And it's so hard to get that parallel light from a point source um, strong enough and far enough away that you don't have, you know, the the telltale giveaways of um, uh, sort of multiple shadows kind of, you know, going in different directions and just lacking the contrast range that we get out of such a... Because let's face it, one of the things you do outside in the real sun is you tend to put up a scrim because it's normally too contrasty. uh, And it's very hard to get at that contrasty in the actual... um, 
uh, in the actual uh, studio. Another thing that tends to be a giveaway for me that for effects is actually kind of volumetric smoky thing or maybe not so much volumetric as I just you know slapped in a smoke element here and there because I wanted to make more atmospheric kind of thing when that is done kind of kind of badly I'm not saying particular for for agents of shield that I can pick out an example of this but it's like for me it's one of my kind of pet peeves when I see in movies and stuff and maybe that's more common in television oh I need it to be more atmospheric so I slap in some stock footage of a little bit of a smoke and most cases for me it ends up the smoke ends up being too bright and it ends up not collecting the shadows it should from from things that are there and also it it's almost like you you were you know you took a smoke element and screened it on top and you're kind of done with it and it's too sharp it's too bright it's uh, you know not blurry enough and yeah. yeah you know the one that that does for me the same thing and again I'm not pointing at agents of shield but the one that's a giveaway is uh, an explosion when somebody uses a stock explosion, it's very hard to key an explosion off a black ground because it's often, often, yes, there's black there, but you, you don't have an explosion of a green in a sensible sense. And there's a lot of particulate in the air and there's a lot of smoke and you tend to end up with a bit sort of a screeny kind of thing. But the other thing you tend to end up with is these very saturated yellowy colors, mm -hmm. whereas in yes. reality, you tend to clip really quickly and there isn't a lot of saturation. And so you get these explosions where the flames uh, in our head very orangey, very yellow. It's wound up in post and it, it no longer looks real. And then the, the edges are kind of sucked in. So a lot of subtlety at the edges has gone away. So you end up with just a bright, globby, yellowy kind of thing. Yeah, and I here I, can, here I can even agree with you to the point of some of the, the like feature films. I mean, look at some of the, the real Avengers films and stuff where they do amazing, amazing, you know, kind of fume effects or they don't use fume effects, but, yeah, you know, volumetric uh, fire and smoke and stuff. It all looks really beautiful, but as you said, it also looks very orangey, the way fire kind of looks in our head. But if you actually take a camera and point it to a fire, it's way more more kind of white and blown out than that so th that's a thing that actually even in in real feature films kind of bugs me when they're kind of compressed the dynamic range to make it pretty made fires darker and more orange and stuff like that that can actually bug me yeah the episode that the plane lands on by the way is uh tahiti i finally remember that um this is the episode in which uh, bill paxton plays um uh agent colson's mate uh, the one I said the plane lands on another. It, it hasn't aired there yet. Um, it is a good episode, but you know when you are doing that kind of plane stuff and you've got these really rich clouds and stuff behind, it's all really really good. When you go for somebody gets um, uh, thrown across a room kind of thing at a at a rate of like uh, you know a thousand miles an hour kind of thing because whoever the character is in in the case of Yes Man, the one that I saw. Most recently, uh, the Lorelei um, episode uh, where Lady Sif, is it? Yeah, Lady Sif comes down from um, from, in, um, from uh, Thor's... Gosh, I'm going to get killed by my kids for getting this wrong. Asgardian <laughs> Lady Sif comes down and uh, throws some people around. Um, in the same way that it's really hard to make that fire believable because you have it in our head, you, you often want these people thrown around the screen at such a speed that... It looks almost, I'm going to call, cheesy because, um, you know, yes, okay, they're very strong and they can throw people around quickly, but... Uh, yeah, it's re start... That's re really hard to do because we know the inertia of a yeah. body, how it should behave, and um, that that's a really fine line to walk for also but like big superhero films like the new Superman flick and all that when they're going to punch each other around and it has to be done in super speed but you still want to have weight to it the weight to speed problem is really difficult as soon as you go into superhero territory I mean it was a well, major issue on Pacific Rim the I was going to say, yeah, yeah, was gonna say yeah. Pacific Rim and a Transformers is where that really comes into its own right because yep. uh, you know gravity doesn't scale and so yep. uh, one of the ways we perceive how big something is, is, you know, how fast it drops relative to the perceived size of it. Because obviously we're watching something. We know how fast it drops no matter how big it is. Um, yep. 
if it's uh you know if it gets from there to there really really quickly it has to be relatively small because uh if you know relative to its size that was a bigger distance it would take a lot longer to travel because everything moves at the same speed it can't you can't get around that and yet we we obviously do because uh in the case of pack rim it would be absurd how slow they yeah, you, you you wouldn't have to have to go get lunch while the robot is falling you know but it's probably not not limited to pack rim in any major monster any major robot any huge thing moving is um often required to move at sort of you know literally many times the speed of sound to be able to pull off what they kind of need to do to keep the plot moving and yep. we kind of forgive it but it is really hard i had a real go at uh spider-man because how fast he's uh, <laughs> i remember sort of was that. swinging from a pendulum point of view just really tricked me out but you know other people would point out rightly that if he swung at the right speed, it would just be a dull film in comparison. I, I claim that you should be able to edit around that and make it more believable. But at the end of the day, my only defense is when I see those swinging superheroes, um, in the case of Spider-Man, moving as a pendulum too fast, I just take taken out of the film. And it, it's a hard thing. It's just because, you, because, just because you have the pendulum equation memorized, admit it. No, but you know it's not, right? It, it, seriously, if you're a supervisor sitting there watching some of this stuff, on some of it, like, okay, let's get to the plane again. On some of it, you could argue uh, from a mathematical basis about lighting and whether or not there'd be bounce light here, there, and you, know, you, could, be, you could hold your own, right? Uh, in terms of depth of field and what would be in focus and not, you can hold it in terms of let's discuss the lens and what lens was this on and what's the amount of curvature. And, and, and that's, a, that's a really reassuring thing to be able to go to when finaling a shot. When you've got a big thing breaking the law of physics, you can't go there because there's no point saying to everybody in the room, well, that's wrong because it would be eight seconds to do that when everyone's going to look at you and say, well, that would just be dull. Um, you know, if he's going to punch him and it takes eight seconds for his arm to connect with his face, it's going to be like, uh, you know, ridiculous. So you can't go to reality. You have to go to, do I think it's works? Do I, do I buy that shot? And, and I think it's a much harder thing for a supervisor to do, you know, I mean, for all I know, some of the shots we've been criticizing, some supervisor sat there and said, look, it's a it's a conceit. It's a it's a cheat. But I think we have to do it, and I think the fans will forgive it. I you know, I'm in a rock and a hard place. How can I make this yeah, realistic yeah. when realism would be, you know, just not an interesting shot? Yeah, agreed. Life is hard. <laughs> well, it is hard if you take away from a supervisor the tool of realism as a uh, yardstick you know because we often say that like shoot it for real get it as realistic as possible you know refer to the real world scenario except for when we come to some of these things where we just have to say movie making uh you know it's just not going to work sometimes it can be like the the shot choice like the 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 you know storyboard dictates super wide shot of spider-man swinging from left to right which if you did it right would take you know 30 seconds and you know you will be bored to tears but if the same shot was tracking with spider-man as he was flying in a completely realistic speed you know three inches off a brick wall that would be perceived with the camera flying with him like being really fast with some nice wind noise and whatever so the correct thing in that case could look quite exciting so but, you they, know, uh, there, uh, there's uh, a lot of stuff that that is in movies that just is completely bullshit. I mean, like, for example, there is no such thing as a silencer. Every time somebody winds on a silencer <laughs> and all you get is dut, like a dut noise. Hang on, I'll do it on my microphone. That noise. Yeah. <laughs> that just this doesn't happen. You can't silence a gun down to you can't hear yeah, it. Yeah. And there are no th- such things as stun pellets that you can roll across the floor that'll put out a gas that'll cause everyone to pass out momentarily for like a minute or two and have no side effects that's called a yeah and if there's water on the floor and you put power cables into it everybody does not start to do the electric lambada yeah and you know what i mean i'm sorry but movie law says that that they will (laughs) you know movie law says that uh that I can actually anaesthetize a room full of thugs with a harmless pellet rather than actually having to shoot them and cause them to die, which would be, you know, bad for my heroes to do. I do I do yeah. find it funny actually how how Agents of Shield or any other show for that matter, though Vikings doesn't have to do this, gets around to their problem of their um 
of their heroes killing people, right? It's like they always get a better gun that will be a slum yep. gun, not an actual gun. Exactly. We actually want to advocate killing people with real bullets, even though, you know, we sort of need to. In Vikings, they don't get around this problem by just literally having our heroes kill people with axes, with blood all over their faces and uh, and cool haircuts. Because they're Vikings. They're Vikings. Because they're Vikings. That's they're, what we do. They're, they're cool dudes. <laughs> it, is a, uh, it is a proud uh, tradition. Um like even yeah, it is. I mean, mid Midsummer Eve in Sweden, standard behavior. Yes, even though no one at that at that period in history lived to past an average ripe old age of about thirty. <laughs> um, there's a there's a uh, a TV show. No, sorry, it's a film coming up. Um, I think it's like something like a thousand and one ways to die in the the old west. Anyway, there's a great scene in it where uh, they're at a funeral, and the. Uh, <laughs> One of the characters. I've only seen the trailer for this. I don't know anything about it. But anyway, uh, I think it's Seth uh, that's standing there. And he says uh, to the guy standing beside him, "Is the the you know he's kind of like obviously upset. The body's going into the grave, and it's like, God, I wish I could have done more." And the guy says, "Hey, he had a splinter, Doc. What else could you have done?" <laughs> I'm kind of reminded of that. Like, you know, seriously, like some of the these Vikings survive amazing wounds without infection, amazing stuff without uh, any problems with. Uh, not having any kind of uh, antibiotics, uh, any kind of modern medicine, just a good uh, a good pack of mud and uh, and uh, <laughs> s- sit in some good good furs yep. in front of a fire for a season. You're back on top. You just have to look grim enough into the camera, you know that that solves everything. Yes. Okay. Well, um, it's been terrific. Uh, having a look at these two shows with yourself, I do appreciate you taking the time. Um, as I said, I, I really do think that they're both shows that are great. And my personal favorite is Vikings just because I do love the realism that they've got in that. And, and I can't, you know, I can't fault them for, for visual effects work. Uh, they can, they, they clearly should have won in whatever category they're up for, but uh, not enough people would have appreciated like me, just how much work the teams went to. So if you were on the team that did all that, um, I, uh, I offer my sincere apologies of not understanding well what you've done, except for you did such a good job. Exactly. Um, Zab, if people want to um, uh, check you out, are you still posting like you were on your website or um, is Twitter uh, a better place to go? Um, yeah, Twitter is a better place to go these days since, of course, I technically no longer work for NVIDIA slash mental images, which ends up my time dedicating to writing strange mental ray tips on the website is not as you know great as I would have hoped. Uh, and I know I should post more there, but it's been a while since I wrote something intelligent, sad to say. But following me on the Twitter thingy or um, finding the Zap Anderson on the Facebook thing Thing if you want to see crazy quadcopter flying and other nonsense uh, is kind of the, the places to find me these days. Ah, uh, yes. And you're heading into uh, your uh, Swedish uh, summer. So you'll get yes. no sleep, 23 hours a day of daylight. It's a wonderful uh, place. I, I love Sweden. Um, so, yeah, I'm very envious. Hopefully, I will see you at Sidgraf, my friend, uh, if not before then. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I'm, of course, Mike Seymour, if you want to follow me on uh, Twitter, and you'll find me, of course, at FX Guide. Uh, we've got some great shows coming up. We have uh, Noah coming up. We also have the uh, connecting, I guess, to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, Captain America, which will be uh, really interesting. And uh, there's more than a hint that there's going to be a connection between Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Captain America from the trailer that was played during the Super Bowl, where we actually saw what looked remarkably like Captain's uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. in the promo. Don't know anything, just saying. Looks like they might connect those two up. Uh, Worth checking it out. Anyway, all of that and more coming up here on The VFX Show. Thank you so much. I want to thank our producer, uh, Todd, who does an outstanding job in uh, producing stuff. Also wanted to uh, just a shout out to one of our regulars on the show, Jason, who uh, unfortunately had a, no one was injured, but had a major household fire that uh, trashed an enormous amount of stuff. We Thoughts go out to him. Luckily, none of his family were injured in any way, shape or form from what he has told me, but uh, we still feel really bad about uh, the fact that they just went through that, which was just yesterday. So a big shout out to Jason. Thanks, Todd. Thanks to our editing team, David and uh, Ian and the guys that put the stuff together. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Mike Simmel. See you next time. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright 2012, FX Guide, LLC.